0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, I would urge you to open them up. You're going to want to see these verses this morning. If you have the Bible app, you can follow along that way as well. In fact, if you go in the Bible app and go to the events portion on menus. You can find the notes for today's message. We're in this series of the book of Acts, and we're asking this question, what makes us who we are? As followers of Jesus Christ, as members of His church, what makes us who we are? And in 28 chapters, we see the birth and the moving of the church of God, uh, the early church. And so as we have unpacked Acts chapter 1 and the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we've identified this as the purpose of Acts. And so every time we gather to study the book of Acts, a portion of this purpose will kind of be highlighted. And so this is the purpose of Acts as we understand it. The book of Acts tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world through a spirit-empowered church, despite internal obstacles and external opposition. Right now, we're really focusing in on the uh, expansion of the kingdom throughout the world. We see the very genesis of that in Acts chapter 2. Um, we are situated chronologically after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples have been waiting just like they were supposed to. They're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem. And after 10 days, like Jesus had promised, when he ascended, the Holy Spirit descended on them, and then the scene unfolds in Acts chapter 2. They begin to speak in other languages. They've never been taught these other languages, they never studied them. They didn't have Duolingo or another program to help them learn another language. The Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, people from all parts of the Roman Empire heard the gospel in a language that they knew while the speakers had never been taught. The audience there had been scattered from Jerusalem since 600 B.C. about. And they find themselves here because of these festivals. We've talked about that. And they've traveled to Jerusalem to honor these festivals. They would go home again to a place um, that um, was home to them since the Babylon exile and after hearing this message in their own native language, they ask this all-important question in Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. Let's read this aloud. Ready, begin. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And they ask this question. They're amazed. They're perplexed. And that's the appropriate response. People who had never learned a language now speaking in a language and then uh, them being able to hear and understand it. And so to this question, Peter responds. And man, does he respond. This is Peter's message at the day of Pentecost. And before we get into Peter's sermon, there's A little bit of explanation we need to hear. And so let's pick it up in verse 11 for just a moment. It says this, um, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We're picking up in verse 11 where they just describe where all of these people are from. And it says this, we hear them telling in our own tongues... The mighty works of God, both Jews and proselytes. So, what we have here are people that grew up in the Jewish faith, but also those that would have converted to the Jewish faith. Both Jews and proselytes hearing the story, the wonderful, the mighty works of God in their own language. And of course, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And verse 13 says this But others mocking said, They're filled with new wine. Your translation might say, sweet wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's an interesting detail, isn't it? Like if you're Luke and it's, You're writing this down, this this record of what happens to the early church. Don't you think it's interesting that the founding members of the early church were accused of being drunk when this all started? And if you're Luke, why doesn't he edit this out? Why doesn't he just say, boy, there's going to be some people in Roseburg. They're going to get really distracted and think we're all drunk. I'll just leave this out, this little detail it's important because there's some historical context that we see here with wine. Um, Peter addresses their first concern, and he says, "This, they're not drunk. Uh, it was about nine o'clock in the morning, uh, which would be concerning even today, right? Uh, but back then, there's these, um, there's multiple factors here that kind of help us understand." Um, And for Peter to explain why it's important that we know they're not drunk. Jewish people at this time usually had two meals. They'd have a meal about 10 o'clock and a meal at 7 o'clock or so. And the 10 o'clock meal came after their morning prayers. And so one of the things that uh, Peter was trying to get them to understand is uh, they did their business with God first, their morning prayers, and then they would have this meal. Wine was drunk at most meals in Jewish culture. Uh, drinking wine was not what we consider drinking wine. Drinking wine was a part of their health. Uh, wine was a part of their normal course of the day because it was used to address the impurities of the water of the day. And so what would happen with wine is you would take wine and you would mix it with the water. It would be watered down wine. And as you ingested the wine, it would have healing properties on the impurities of the water. Uh, they would water down the wine pretty well and again this was not uh, the goal of drinking was not pleasure it was not to get drunk it was simply for their health um, it was cost-effective too to water down the wine this way this was done for health reasons and so when they exclaim this is new wine or sweet wine what they're saying is my goodness they've already gone to the stuff that's not watered down um, and that was the type of wine that was used for celebrations. You remember in the Gospels how shocked uh, the party of the uh, the bride and the groom was when they drank the wine that Jesus had made from the water. They called it uh, the best wine. They said, how, how in the world would the, uh, the master of the banquet save this wine for the end? Why? Because they were drinking the watered-down stuff first. So one of the things that Peter is explaining to them is this. They're not drunk for several reasons, Uh, but first of all, it's because um, this was first thing in the morning. They would have had their morning prayers. They haven't even had their first meal yet. It was important to establish the legitimacy of those speaking that, no, they're not drunk. It's way too early to get drunk. And so he says, for as these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He goes on and he delivers the actual sermon. And before we dive into the actual sermon, Peter, uh, there's about five notes I want to give you about Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Some of them are contextual. Some of them are important to understand what's coming next. And so uh, there in your notes, five quick notes about Peter's sermon at Pentecost. First one is this. As far as we can tell, speaking in languages and tongues stopped during this message. Um, So last week, we unpacked the scene of them speaking in tongues, speaking in languages. And so if you have questions about that, I'd encourage you to listen to the message or uh, let me know or let one of our elders know this week. We'd be happy to talk to you about it um, if you have questions about speaking in tongues. But in this portion of uh, Peter's message, speaking in tongues uh, ceased, and that's important because Uh, if they continued speaking in tongues over one another on top of Peter's sermon, it would have been confusing and chaotic, wouldn't it? As Peter would deliver his message and then all of a sudden others are speaking in these other varying language, um, it would have been confusing and chaotic and God's not in the business of the chaos and the confusion. And so just a historical note, it's important to know, as far as we can tell, the speaking in tongues or languages stopped during this message. Number two, Peter uses Scripture as the basis for his preaching. Now this seems like an awful simple phrase, something we might take for granted, but Peter uses Scripture as the basis for his preaching. Um, It's important. If if, if you look in Scripture, um, there's a heavy, heavy call Against false teachers. You look at Ezekiel 34, 2 Peter chapter 2. False teachers are anyone who would take scripture and twist it and manipulate it to derive something else than what the scripture was intended. And what ends up happening is when you take scripture and you twist it and you manipulate it, uh, you become uh, untrue to the faithful. Uh, to the faithfulness of what God has preserved, um, it twists and, and messes with our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens is in the New Testament, there are multiple places where you can look at Scripture and without looking at it in context, both with culture and history in mind, you can twist Scripture and all of a sudden be away from what God had intended. Um, this is how we come up with um, with. Ways of thinking that, that um, let me give you one here. I'm trying to think of what would be a, a way that we twist scripture. Um, if you were to look in the gospels, you can find instances where you, can, uh, where you would see where Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. Because he was God in the flesh. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a man. And if you take that scripture and you twist it, you can then come up with the theory or the hypothesis that if Jesus was man, just like you and I, then Jesus also sinned. And if you take that as true, if you take that supposition that Jesus sinned, then all of a sudden the death on the cross means a whole lot less And if the death on the cross means a whole lot less, then all of a sudden, where do we rest our faith in? And so it's very, very important that preaching is used with Scripture as its basis. And God is my witness. I want to grow old preaching the truth of the Scripture. I want to grow deeper in my own knowledge and understanding. I want to share the truth of what the Bible says. And if there's ever a moment or if there's ever a Sunday and you think, man, Daniel, that doesn't feel like it came from Scripture, I give you full permission to call me out. Scripture was the basis for the preaching. And it has to stay the very central part of our teaching and preaching. Number three. Uh, These verses are a small portion of his message. You're going to look at 12 verses and say, Daniel, he preached a whole message in 12 sentences. Why can't you? I know what you're thinking. Verse 40 or so says this. This was a small portion of Peter's message. I think it's interesting because Luke is writing down the details of these messages. There's about a dozen messages that are recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, There's some by Stephen. There's some by Paul. There's some by Uh, of course, Peter. And so we have some record of the message, but this is just a small portion of the message. Uh, Fourth, it's just interesting. What Peter did here was not like a rabbi teaching. It was preaching. Rabbis would sit, and they would teach, and it would be in small, intimate settings. Um, And this was him standing, the posture even of Peter standing and declaring the truth this was reserved in this time for something different than what they were used to standing was for the reading and the declaration of the truth of God the fifth note is this Peter's restoration and redemption is on full display here Boy, this is Peter, man. This is Peter who once denied Christ three times. He's now preaching the the truth about who Jesus is. Here we see Peter with the courage and boldness, a sharp contrast from his denials of Jesus at the end of the Gospels. One chapter of our life doesn't determine our complete story. And here we see Peter's story story. His restoration and his redemption on full display. Every setback becomes an opportunity for us to further follow Jesus. Um, I love that the story of the Bible always reminds us that redemption is always possible. Restoration is always possible because Jesus changes everything. All right, let's dive into the message. Here it is in verse 16. This is how he starts. He says this, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Again, as we talked about earlier, Peter uses scripture as the basis for his preaching, and he's quoting here Joel chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So God speaks of the Holy Spirit way back in the day of the prophets. And in many days, many ways, I should say, what had happened up to this point, these signs, these wonders, these speaking in other languages, all lead to this point where their hearts could embrace the very word of God. The focus on God's word did not quench the moving of the Holy Spirit. It fulfilled what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And so all of the signs and wonders and the speaking in tongues We're preparing them for this work of God's word. So what happened on the day of Pentecost was near fulfillment of what we read in Joel chapter 2. Joel mostly prophesied that judgment was coming to ancient Israel. Yet in the midst of the warning of judgment, God also gave words of promise, words of future blessing, and embedded in those blessings was this announcement that the Holy Spirit would one day pour out on his people. And so the idea of the last days is that they're in the time of the Messiah, encompassing both His humble coming and His return to glory. We read on in verse 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is in Joel chapter 2. It's so awesome to think about that way back in Joel. uh, God spoke to the prophet of uh, Joel and there was a lot of judgment and a lot of... A judgment, a word of judgment coming from God to the people. And yet embedded in that judgment was this promise. Not only would the young men dream, uh, see visions and the young women see visions and the old men will dream dreams. But embedded in that promise was this. There will come a day when the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon people. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter also used this passage from Joel for this evangelistic purpose. That word, whoever, is pretty important here. You see, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit meant that God now offered salvation in a way previously unknown. Remember that phrase where in verse 11, where he, uh, the verses right before verse 11, he describes where all these people are living from and the languages that are being spoken. And then he says, Jews and proselytes. Those that were Jewish people, and those that, that means those that grew up as God's chosen people proselytes these were people that converted to judaism do you know how you converted to judaism back then you had to become circumcised it was quite the commitment you had to become circumcised Uh, women had to be married into the jewish culture and so this was the way they knew how to follow god's teaching Here, all of a sudden, there's this new promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit meant that God now offered salvation in a way previously unknown. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're male or female, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the promise of the Holy Spirit, this one that was promised to Joel, Uh, promised by Jesus to the disciples is now available to all. Now, most people, as they read through this, it would be enough for Paul to stop after the quotation from Joel, considering all we have in it. Because Joel has told us about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's told us about miracles and dreams and the prophecy. He's talked about signs and wonders regarding the day of the Lord and an invitation to call on the name of the Lord. But as we read on in uh, Peter's sermon in verse 22, we see that Peter went on to describe the saving work of Jesus on their behalf. Everything up until this point had been introduction, explaining the strange things that they had just seen. Understand the context. They had just seen these men and women start preaching in tongues, in languages that they had never been taught, that they had never learned. And they ask this question, what does this mean? And so Peter, to explain what is happening, he says, well, way back in Joel, there's this prophet. And God actually said this would happen. The young men would see things. There would be prophecies happening. The old men would dream dreams. And the Holy Spirit would come out, and whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He goes on in verse 22. loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Those amazing words from Peter. He says, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. He's he's calling back their remembrance of Jesus and all the miraculous things that he had done. Jesus, the one who, uh, last week we talked about the man who was lowered down in the center of the room and how jesus healed him we're talking about the man that was uh that would heal the leper the man that would heal the 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 man that was lame by the pool of bethesda this man uh attested to you by god with mighty works wonders and signs he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter knew that Jesus' death was part of the plan of God. And at the same time, those who rejected him and called for his execution were responsible for their actions. Peter's looking at this crowd, and last week we painted the picture. They would come for these festivals, and so when they came for uh, the first festival of Passover, this was 50 days ago, Right? Many that were in the crowd were there at Passover 50 days ago. Many in the crowd were there when uh, when Jesus was presented, and they say, "What should we do with this man?" Many were there in the crowd 50 days ago when they shouted at the top of their lungs, "Crucify him!" Then 40 days later, they come back to Jerusalem for this festival day of Pentecost. And now those same people have heard the record of witnesses. Man, we saw Jesus. We had meals with Jesus. We had a fish fillet sandwich with him. With Jesus. It's in there. You look at it. It's in the Greek somewhere. Like his body was here. He was resurrected. We ate with him. The one that You, you see the words Peter is using? That you crucified and killed. And now they hear these words ring out from Peter. This same Jesus, God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know, you can still visit... um, Muhammad's tomb, you can still visit the place where they believe Buddha died, you can visit the places that hold their bodies. I'm so grateful today that we serve a risen Savior because it was not possible for him to be held by the pains of death. Peter knew that Jesus could not remain bound by death, and it was not possible that Jesus could remain the victim of sin, of hatred of man. He would certainly try off, triumph off of it. In a few weeks, um, when we continue chapter 2, we're going to see Peter's message continue, and he makes uh, he makes a reference to King David um, of Israel's history, and we're going to unpack that. And Uh, We'll see the end of chapter 2, which is just amazing, where people hear the gospel, and the, the King James says, they that gladly received it were baptized. They were added to the church. That phrase, they gladly received it, this message was a message that called them out for their participation and involvement in the very death of Jesus, and yet Jesus now offers redemption and restoration to them. So two amazing, challenging truths from Peter's message this morning. First one is this, the filling of the Holy Spirit moved Peter to share the gospel. It's so important here that the filling of the Holy Spirit moved Peter to share the gospel. If we are not careful, we will take what's known as the filling of the Holy Spirit and we will allow it to remain this mysterious thing that happens. And no doubt there is wonder in it. No doubt there is amazement in it that the Holy Spirit who is who is identical to Jesus, Jesus said. Another is going to come after, another identical, and he's, he'll be in spirit form, and uh, but he will be just like me. It is amazing. It's wondrous. But the filling of the Holy Spirit moved Peter to share the gospel. Um, all of the things that we might associate with the filling of the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about them. Uh, would there be speaking in tongues? Uh, yes. Would there be healing? Wait till we get to chapter 3. We'll see it. Uh, would there be other signs and wonders? Yes. But these are all null and void without the gospel of Jesus Christ, without the clear explanation of who Jesus is and how we can have life In him. And what happens in the next 26 chapters is not this story of just people feeling warm and fuzzy inside. It's not this story of just people feeling goosebumps all the time because they had the Holy Spirit in them. It's not a story of people just being happy all the time because the Holy Spirit's in them. No, it is a moving of the Holy Spirit that causes people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It moved him to share the gospel. Here is this Peter who the last time we've seen him was at the end of the gospels. And the last time we see Peter is this this guy who denies Christ three times. And I love the story the way Luke, I believe, uh, jots it down where when Jesus is resurrected and the women go there and Jesus chooses these two women to be the very first to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ the angel of the lord says go tell the others but go tell peter as well cuz the last time what well, didn't end so well for peter let him know he's not excluded from this but that he's included and now we hear see peter moved to share the gospel so the first truth is this the filling of the holy spirit moved peter to share the gospel there's all these other components yes there's tongues there's healings there's signs and wonders there's all these other things but at the core of it was the sharing of the gospel number two is this when presented with the opportunity peter was ready to share the gospel there's no preparation behind this message It was spontaneous, the best we know it. He didn't wake up knowing that he would preach to thousands. In fact, when they woke up that morning, all they knew that they were going to do was to wait for Jesus, to wait for the Holy Spirit. All they knew was that they were going to wait. They didn't know that thousands would embrace Jesus, but he was ready. And this message he shared was prepared by Peter's prior life with God and his relationship with Jesus. It flowed spontaneously out of that and out of a mind that believed deeply. Church, there will be an opportunity for you to share the gospel this week. I am 100% positive. There will be an opportunity. Someone you know will go through devastating news they are not prepared for. Someone you know will go through unexpected news. They will go through something difficult and you will have this opportunity. And it's not so much about what the results would be, but it will be about your obedience to the Holy Spirit in that moment. When presented with the opportunity, Peter was ready. I don't have it in your notes, but if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Anybody know what this chapter is called? This is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When the Holy Spirit filled Peter, it moved him to share the gospel. Of all the things Peter could do to respond to the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is the very first act we see, him getting up and declaring the truth of what Jesus, of who Jesus is. And then when presented with the opportunity, he was ready. Um, I tell Darren all the time, you better get a message ready this Sunday. Because one day I'm going to wake up sick on a Sunday. I've had these uh, allergic reactions recently. It hasn't happened in a while, but uh, twice in the last probably eight months. uh, I will show you the pictures if you'd like one day. But my face just balloons up. And I'll take a picture every hour, and it'll just balloon up. And uh, it happened a little while ago on a Friday night, and I thought, oh, my goodness, if this happens on a Saturday, someone needs to be ready to preach the gospel. Uh, Peter was ready. There was no preparation for it. He simply was ready to preach the gospel. I think about our church and I think about our Sunday mornings and I think about what we do during the week and, and uh, Wednesdays has become this hive of activity at church. It's pretty awesome. We have worship practice going and we have a couple of Bible studies and the kids program is popping and the middle schoolers are meeting and then the youth are meeting and it's, it's this hive of activity. I think about just during the week all of, our, all of the things that our church tries to do. And we try to encourage people, and we have a care team, and for those of you who want to be a part of the care team, sign up where we get to just encourage people through the week, and we have cards in the lobby that hopefully I got a text from a missionary on Wednesday, and it said, Daniel, I just got your letter from your, a card from your church, and I saw all the signatures and the notes inside, Uh, thank you, this is exactly what I needed went on to tell me about a discouraging thing that happened in their week that week and how that card was perfect timing and perfect. Of all the things that we try to accomplish during the week, central to it must be us sharing the gospel. And here's the thing, if we're not careful, we will just assume that Daniel's doing it or Darren's doing it. Or the elders are doing it. Or the worship team is doing it. They can sing in front of people. Surely they're doing it for us. Or someone else is doing it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong Or a clanging cymbal. This is the word picture Paul is using. It's as if Mike is on the drums back there. And while I am speaking all languages, right? And I'm declaring the truth of the gospel. Mike's back there just wailing on the cymbals. While I'm, well it's it's disruptive. It's chaotic. It's noisy. And you'd probably just walk out, right? Verse 2. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing, Paul says. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body. By the way, Paul did that. Boy, Corinthians tells us he's shipwrecked this many times and i was beaten this many times and i was frequently imprisoned how many times do you have to be in prison to call it frequently right he says if i did all these things i could boast about it but if i didn't love others i would have gained nothing verse four love is patient and kind Love is not jealous or boastful or pride or rude. It does not demand its own way. I really don't like that that scripture's in there. Because I find myself often through the week demanding my own way. It says this, love is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out. What does that mean for us? It doesn't rejoice when there's injustice. It doesn't get excited when someone is treated poorly. We have this whole wave of entertainment on our media's devices where if someone gets treated and missed poorly, we say, good riddance, good for them. They got what they deserve. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance and then Paul says this prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless at one point those signs and those wonders they will cease but love will last forever now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. These three things will last forever faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I've said it often that if we take 1 Corinthians 13 and we try to put our name as where love is, we come woefully short, right? If I try to put my name where love is in 1 Corinthians 13, I can't get very far before I realize I simply do not measure up. And the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. He stands in our place. When it says the Holy Spirit is our advocate, that means in those moments of uh, accusation by the very enemy of our soul, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He stands in our place. And where we don't measure up, the Holy Spirit takes our place. And so we replace 1 Corinthians 13, the word love, not with our name, but with the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians comes alive because this is what he does for each and every one of us. And so I want to present you with this opportunity this week. You will have the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel. And if we don't, if we refuse to, if we simply say, Daniel, I live a pretty good life. Well, good. I feel like we all should live a pretty good life. Say, Daniel, I give when I can. Good, we're supposed to give. Say, Daniel, I show up on Sundays. Good, we're called to do that. Uh, You say, Daniel, I actually sing out loud on Sunday mornings. Well, good, we're supposed to do that, right? But if we do all of those things and we simply don't have love enough to share the gospel, we might as well have a symbol we're banging everywhere we go being a noisy distraction. When filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter shared the gospel. So this week, as you pray for the Holy Spirit's filling and presence in your life, buckle up. Because that means he's going to lead you in a place where you get to share for the hope that lies within you. And then this, when presented with the opportunity, Peter was ready to share the gospel. So how do you get ready to share the gospel? So this week, I want you to think about, maybe in your quiet time, maybe around the dinner table, your life before Christ, how did you meet him, and your life after Christ. And when you can crystallize what happens, what happened in your life before Christ, how you met Jesus, what was the moment, what was the, who was the person that introduced you to him, what were the circumstances, how did that look like, and how your life has changed from it, you get, You're ready to share the gospel. So, a couple of questions for you to consider as we think about Peter's message here. When was the last time you shared the gospel? Who was it with? Where were you? What did it look like? What were you able to share? And then secondly, this morning, are you ready to share the gospel? The story of Peter is the story of these two opportunities. The first is at the end of the gospels where he has the opportunity to stand up for Jesus Christ. And in that instance, he failed miserably three times. And to fulfill what Jesus said, Three times he failed. And then there's this other opportunity. These men and women have spoken. They have prophesied in different languages that they'd never heard. All of a sudden, there's all this attention in the where the temple area was. People are coming from all over, and they're hearing the language that they grew up with, their mother tongue, and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they start asking this question, what does this mean? And Peter here is now faced with his other opportunity. And he stands up and he declares the truth of who Jesus is. So, when was the last time you shared the gospel and are you ready to share the gospel? As we read the story of Acts, it is this story that compels us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, as we gather and we just think through what Peter experienced, what a beautiful, beautiful restoration and redemption story. Thank you, Father, that you have gifted us these opportunities to see into the lives of your followers in such a way that not just uh, it's not just an educational exercise for us, it's not just for our own information, these mm-hmm. studies, but Lord, they compel us to be transformed by the image of God. They compel us to be transformed from the inside out. And Lord, when we look at this life of Peter and we look at this message, what an amazing, amazing restoration, redemption you provided him. Father, in our own lives, would you allow us to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Peter was in such a way that we share the gospel this week that we tell someone about why we pray we tell someone why we reserve our Sunday mornings for worship where we have the opportunity to share why we teach our kids to pray before meals, where we have the opportunity to share why we we have this faith, why we have this hope that lies within us. Father, if um, if we go about our days and we gather next week, And we sing songs and we um, go through this exercise and we just do that week over week without ever sharing the gospel, Lord. I fear that we'll never actually experience this filling of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray that we would experience it. I pray that there would be lives that embrace the life that you have promised because we stepped out of our comfort zone just a little bit to give people the gospel. We're not all called to preach on a Sunday morning, Father. We're not all called to lead worship on a Sunday morning or to play an instrument or to give a communion meditation. But Lord, you have called us to follow you. And as we become filled with the Holy Spirit, Father, there will be opportunities that we have with our friends, with our families, with the incidental interactions we have in our community. And so, Father, I pray that you would allow us to use those opportunities to be led by your Holy Spirit, that we would hear you and simply respond. I pray that we would be ready. I pray that you would give us pause to consider our life before you, how we met you, and how you influence and impact every waking moment of our days. We're not here just to go through the motions, Lord. We want more. We want more of you. your heads bowed for a moment, I'd ask you to just simply respond to however the Holy Spirit's leading. Our worship team's going to come forward and they're going to prepare to sing for us, worship, lead worship as we sing the truths of Micah 6 8. But right now, you simply respond to however the Holy Spirit's leading. and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.